This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart. And as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback. And I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Okay, Queeros, Cami here. Now, today on the podcast, Lamia H., who wrote this amazing and beautiful book called Hijab Butch Blues, I really loved it. Anyone else? My wife, Katie, edited it. So, like, you're doing yourself a favor by reading, and also you're supporting the Esposito Nishimoto household. Uh, Please grab Hijab Butch Blues. You know who blurbed it? Lennon Doyle. So, there you go. That's an indication of how amazing it is. Robin Moxley, Beck. Leslie Uditis, Chantel McClelland, Trisha Thalmeyer, Levon Suwake, Ethan Peterson, Rachel McIntyre, Tanya Josick, Caitlin, Brittany Carlson, Stacy, Tina Herman, Kevin Fry, Jackson Carr, Chloe Vicker, Bobby Dahmer, Audrey Rauer, Katie Gagliardo, Shelby Cunningham, Jessica Lustig, Danny Elkhorn, Francine Balbina, Les- Liesl Jensen, Brenda Esposito, Fiona, Eliza Dornbush, Jennifer Grind, Mara Barra, Jen Graf Perfects, Perkins, Amy A., Catherine Michaels, B., Aaron Talbot. What do all those people have in common? They all support the show on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash heyqueeros. And you too could be mentioned at the beginning of the podcast in a way that may or may not be how you pronounce your last name. I am looking at you, Jennifer Grind, or perhaps it's Grindy. Also, I'm going to be in Seattle, March 5th at the Neptune Theater. I'm going to be in Burlington, Vermont. March 9th and 10th at the Vermont Comedy Club. On the 12th of March, I will be in Boston at Laugh Boston. That's already sold out. Go to CameronEsposito.com and get tickets. Come on, do it, okay? I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still holding on. Darling, I know, I know, I know it's careless. Uh, Hi, one thing I always have guests do on the podcast is introduce themselves. Would you mind introducing yourself? Um, hi, I'm Lamia. I live in New York, um, and I wrote a memoir called Hijab Butch Blues. Um, introducing myself or like introducing introductions in general make me so nervous because they give me an existential crisis. Like, who am I? What have I done with my life? Um, I know that's part, kind of like part of the trap that I've set up is, um, I do think that's actually very interesting, you know, to, to hear how somebody would frame their fucking existence. Um, so I get it. Like I, I think a lot of times people um, feel that way. Yeah. Oh, what would I say? Well, I mean, I think I lead with like profession first, which is like mm. its own messed up thing, right? You know, like stand-up comic, actor, writer, like that's like for sure. What if right. With me. Right. You know? um, I guess I'm a writer. Um, you are a writer, yeah. I wrote that's this what they book. say about people who have books out. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I'm curious about even your like hesitancy there. Um, so I'm not trained as a writer. I um I actually came to writing pretty late in life, um like in my late twenties. Um, you know, I'm not one of those people who took writing classes my whole life, et cetera. And so I don't know, it's been, it's definitely been a getting used to process of being like, I am a writer. I wrote a book. Yeah, that is uh, absolutely. That makes so much sense. I, I also 
also feel that way um, about many of my jobs because the only job that I really chose was stand-up comic and the mm. rest of them have all been like offshoots of that. And so that's kind of the one I feel like the most um, able to claim, even though I guess technically the other ones are also true, um, but that's the one that I feel like the most, yeah, a, right. uh, responsibility. Also, you're a writer. Yeah, I guess that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm a writer. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, I'm, like, I've written television and book and many columns. And I guess that would, for a lot of people, they would then think of themselves as a writer. But <laughs> there's some sort of mental block going on there for sure. Another thing I want to talk about, and I want to get to what the memoir is, but I want to just say up top that you are speaking and wrote under a pseudonym. Um, yes. And I'd, I'd love for you to just talk about that for a moment. Yeah. Um, so uh, I wrote a book about sort of like queerness and Muslimness. And for me, um, being able to talk about those things really, really honestly and really vulnerably um, uh, meant that I needed sort of like a layer of protection from my real self slash persona. Not that this isn't my real self and persona, but still. Um, so I wrote under a pseudonym mainly for sort of like safety and privacy. Um, and, and yeah, uh, and I had been written, I had been writing under a pseudonym for a while. Um, I had been writing sort of like essays and articles under a pseudonym and um, the book sort of like flowed from there and was under the same pseudonym. So I had this persona as a pseudonym as well. Um, yeah. And yeah, so those are those are the main reasons. And I want to just go back to when you say safety and privacy. Um, and again, like any limitations you have around what you want to talk about, could you maybe delve a little bit more into the safety and privacy that you're that you're trying to maintain for yourself? Yeah. Um, I mean, those are such loaded terms. Um, totally. And, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And I think what has been um, interesting about navigating this whole writing under a pseudonym thing is that it's a little bit like people are like, what does that mean? Um, but to me, it means it means I, I think the big thing that it means is that it's really hard being queer and it's really hard being Muslim and it's really being hard. It, it's really hard being at the intersection of both of those things. Um, I mean, it feels like this country right now is a really violent place for queer people. Um, and there are, you know, there's just like so much sort of like systemic discrimination and just like, I don't know, just also like day-to-day -day violence happening. Um, and, you know, this, this country has been pretty um, discriminatory towards Muslims as well. And um, yeah, to me, uh, a big part of safety is just being able to have boundaries um, around who, uh, around like just being Googleable and, um, you mm. know, my address uh, mm -hmm. being attached to this like super yeah. vulnerable memoir that I wrote. And um, so for me, it felt it, it felt really good to be writing this under with an extra layer of protection. Right. So this is not an area of my expertise. And so what I would imagine is that there might even be times that you have to correct me, but I'm trying to think about like, sometimes when I, sometimes I just think about like, okay, it's like, I'll do like a combination of like my understanding of culture, what I'm getting on social media and like in newspapers and stuff like that. And then my 
sort of like purview friend group personal experience. And mm. what I will say is that I don't know a ton of people who are openly queer and also were raised in in Islam or the Muslim community mm. or and also like continue to have an affinity connection, perhaps, I don't know if the right word is practice. Like, I feel like I know people who, I know like a couple people who converted mm. and like they were like, their queerness was a part of it. So there wasn't necessarily like a family mm. tradition going on. I know, or like national tradition going on. Like I know those people have been born in the US or I know folks who had like family tradition stuff going on and then they've stepped away from that. So I don't know a ton of people who are like in this space. So that's really interesting. I know so many. Um, yes, think, this yeah. is, uh, this. <laughs> you know, so many. Yeah, I was just going to say, I know so many people who um, are sort of like, uh, have those identities. Um, and, you know, it took me a really long time to find people. Um, it uh, it took me a really long time to find people that I wanted to be uh, in community with and like building with so intentionally. Um, people who were both sort of like, were both queer and Muslim and, you know, um, engaging with both of those things critically um, in ways that work for them. Um, but now I have so many um, queer Muslim friends and family. And uh, yeah, it's really lovely. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah, I don't really, I mean, just to say, I don't know a ton of like people who are, who would be like, I'm mm. Christian and, or Catholic, which is how I grew up. Um, mm. I feel like, I feel like I do know fo folks who still identify culturally and like perhaps even mm. spiritually as Jewish, mm. like with Judaism and are queer. I feel like for some reason that's the one that I know like tons of folks who have that going on. Um, but yeah, I think as you were talking, I was like, I don't even really know that many people in my own tradition who have like been able to marry those two things it's really interesting as after this book came out i mean i guess it's only been two days but um uh, a lot of people have been writing me um because they either sort of like grew up in a tradition and um that's not part of their lives anymore or um or they grew up with a certain tradition and it is um and they've mm -hmm. been sort of like uh trying to figure out ways to um navigate both of those so it's really cool to see um, it's really cool to see so many people, um, navigating those things, like even beyond sort of like queer Muslimness. Um, yeah. You know. I mean, so the reason I'm saying all that is like, I've had to look pretty hard. I had like this weird thing happen during the pandemic where I was like, wait, am I like Christian? Not like in terms of thinking that like Jesus Christ was like, um, a real like ghost man who like came out of a tomb and like everybody touched the inside of his body. Um, but more so just in like, using the things I grew up with as like teaching stories, um, I realized that I had not, that had never like left my body or mm. mind or psyche, you know, like it's still a lot of like how I interpret random shit and I am into it. Like, I think it's interesting and, and like widely applicable in mm. the way that I actually think my familiarity with all major religions. And then also with like, indigenous tradition like all of it it's like it's all human wisdom and there's something mm. to be gleaned from all of it and the, the one i know the best is just this particular one right um, but it was this very 
anyway, so I started like seeking out a ton of books or like community around like queerness and Christianity. Also like the intersection of Christianity and, and Buddhism. Cause like those things actually, if you like, if you, it, it, not Buddhist, oh my God, I'm like literally, and Buddhism, those things, if you intersect them, they sort of like speak more to a message, mm. like a Jesus message than what I grew up with. Cause, cause it's like a way of taking what he's saying as a metaphor for like right. what we're all doing here, which is like learning, suffering, rising. Yeah. And isn't it funny that like all of the stories that you grew up with never leave you? Um, even if you yes, this is why I'm bringing them? it up yeah, to you specifically. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like even if you haven't thought about them for like years and years and years, they somehow live inside you. It's it's so it's so interesting to me. Um, I've I've also I've also very recently uh, discovered that if you don't feel your feelings, they also live inside you. Did you know this? <laughs> I, can't, I can't believe no. everybody knew this. No. Yeah, that just yeah, that you're supposed to feel your feelings. No. What? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think those are uh, those are related somehow. That um, mm. yeah. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Well, so the reason I was saying all that to you specifically is the way that the memoir is framed is stories from the Quran. Like you're you're talking about your own um, religious tradition and the things that you learned and then specifically about like, yeah, stories from the Quran in a way that like is very different, first of all, mm. than the way Catholics actually encounter um, our text. Oh, Do you know this? No. Can you say more? Yeah. Like Catholics don't read the Bible. Like oh. huh. There are other cr Christian traditions where, like, that's more of it. But, I mean, you sort of do. Uh, it's more like in, in my experience of it, was like, it's more like in religion class. You're, like, talking about Jonah being in the belly of a whale. And mm. that's, like, it's all literal. And it's all, like, stories. And it's... um. Like, not only is it not, like, in Aramaic, but it's, like, also not even in the wording from the English translation of the Bible. Huh. It's just truly, like, yeah, random storybook stuff. Um, huh. And so one of the immediate things that struck me about your story is, like, how much reading and, like, true connection to the text mm. you got as a child. Like, it's on the, the radio and things like this. Could you talk about that for a little bit? Yeah. So, um... I grew up in the Middle East. Um, I grew up, I'm South Asian, and my family moved uh, to a country in the Middle East when I was four. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, like, not, not 
it's not just in the country that I grew up in, but like I think in a lot of places in the Islamic world, the Quran is like it's just such a like text that is just like everywhere. So so interestingly, part of um, just like reciting the Quran is considered an act of worship. And so um, a lot of people sort of like memorize it or like people learn some of the smaller chapters or, you know, you hear it, uh, you hear it being sort of recited. Um, and actually, uh, there's there's this like rich tradition of people like reciting it in like really kind of like beautiful tones and voices. Um, so that's that's definitely part of the um, sort of like soundscape of Islam. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I just like grew up with the Quran sort of like being everywhere, both sort of like in an audio way, but also, you know, in terms of like going to Quran class and like learning how to read it. Um, because I, I, I didn't, you know, I, I don't speak Arabic. And so that's what I, I was just going to yeah. ask you. Like, I mean, this is the dumbest question in the world. I'm so sorry. But like, what language is it being spoken and read in, in when, when you're when you were a child? What was mostly Arabic? But we also just read translations a lot um, in English. Um, and then, you know, sometimes my parents would read translations in Urdu, um, which is the other language that we speak. Um, but yeah, but mostly Arabic um, and then a combination of sort of like translations in other languages. And you you said you don't speak Arabic. I don't speak Arabic. Yeah. Um, when when I'm around Arabic, my Arabic is like good enough that I understand everything. Um, and of course, I know all of the curse words, um, <laughs> which, you know, is, a, yeah, the first thing that most people pick up in languages. Um, but uh, yeah, so um, I learned how to read and sort of even write. I learned how to like read and write Arabic um, for the purposes of reading the Quran. Because you wanted to or because that was... When I was younger, a lot of it was just school um, yeah. and parents. And, you know, um, I had a Quran teacher who would come every afternoon and teach me and my brother to read Quran. Um, but but yeah, as it um, as as we grew older, um, I definitely like felt more of a connection to keep revisiting it um, and keep reading and um, read different translations, um, not just one, so that I could get a richer picture of what was going on. And then also just reading a lot of, um, I guess, like, uh, I think it's called like exegesis, but I, I don't think I've ever said that word out loud, Cameron. I think you're, I think you're right. That's, <laughs> but, oh, that's uh, how it's pronounced for sure. Is it? Okay. Yes. Ooh, yeah, because, yeah, you know. Um, English is my second language. I'm always mispronouncing things. You know. Um, thanks. Uh, yeah. So um, I definitely like grew up reading a lot of translations and then a lot of sort of like, I guess, interpretations of that translation as well. Yeah. And by the way, I just want to say I'm probably the only stand-up comic that might be like, you know, that is how you say that word um, because <laughs> of my own personal background. But um yeah, I mean, some of that is very, the, all of this is, God, I mean, I could just talk about, like, your encountering that text for, like, the whole interview, because I think that's, like, for instance, I'm, I mean, I don't know if you know this, but, like, for a very long time, Catholic Mass was was delivered in Latin, specifically Whoa. so the parishioners could not understand what was being said. And actually, at that time, the priest faced away from them. Huh. So, like, 
everybody was supposed to show up and look at this guy's back who's speaking a language that they don't understand. And that changed um, in the seventies. And then the priest also turned around and, you know, it was like the language that mass was delivered in was then the local language. But um, I think that what you're talking about is such a different positioning um, to text than I grew up with. And then specifically the way that you wrote this book is in finding the characters from that text. I hope characters doesn't seem like dismissive. I don't know what, I don't know what to call characters is okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Finding the characters from the text, Um, like having a relationship with them, having your Mm. own relationship and um, relating to their stories. Could you talk about that decision a little bit and specifically, um, the Miriam moment that mm. happened when you were 14, yeah. I think. Yeah. So um, I, I've i mentioned already that I, you know, didn't grow up writing, but I grew up reading a lot, like just a lot. I read everything that I could get my hands on. And um, I don't know, I think part of the eye-opening experience uh, for me in terms of reading books was that you get to like, you get to like live in the head of, ca- in the heads of characters and you get to, um, you get to sort of like question their decisions and you get to like think of them as like messy and flawed and like, you know, making some decisions that you wouldn't make or um, or like cheering them on. And to me, mm-hmm. um, because of the way that I grew up with the Quran as a sort of like omnipresent text, um, to me, it felt really natural to do that with characters or figures from the Quran as well. Um, figures. There we go. Keep going. Yeah, figures. Yes. <laughs> figures. Yeah. That, that sounds more respectful. Keep going. Yeah. Um, so to me, um, to me, in some ways, I've always thought of figures from the Quran as like, you know, deeply human. Um, sure, they're like prophets or whatever. But um, but to me, they were all they were at the end of the day, human and, you know, um, flawed. Um and I think I think one of the coolest things um, in terms of figures in the Quran is that there's this one chapter that's um, that's about the Prophet Muhammad, um, and in it God is reprimanding him, and so it's about how Muhammad um, uh, frowned um, when he encountered this uh, this poor blind man who was coming to him and was. Um, wanted to like learn more about Islam. And there's, you know, a, a whole context to the story. Um, Muhammad was meeting with uh, all of these sort of like rich and powerful leaders um, from his city. And like, you know, the early Muslims then were in exile, etc. There was a lot going on. But there's this moment in which God is like, whoa, you shouldn't have done that, Muhammad. And I don't know, I like something about that has always struck me as so deeply powerful mm. because even this prophet makes mistakes. Um, And so for me, I don't know, it just felt like really natural that other prophets could also um, make mistakes or, or just like, I don't know, um, have like, have like voices inside there, you know what I mean? Like have like internal monologues and like be making decisions um, the same way that I was. And so, yeah, so to me, um, part of like, part of the, part of what has made Islam so important to me 
is being able to see myself in these stories. Um, and, you know, and just like having a lot of empathy towards these figures who were just trying to do the right thing the same way that, you know, um, I sometimes I like try to do the right thing and like fail and like, you know, make mistakes. Um, wow. Yeah. That is so different than my, <laughs> it's like wild to hear you talk about this. I mean, again, like I'm sure, well, I'd love to hear from listeners if they were raised in like a Christian tradition and had anything that sounds like what you're talking about. Or, and, I, and I'm not even saying you're like speaking for all the Muslims. I was just like, this is not, um, I don't think this actually would have been okay with the people that were around me when I was growing mm. up. And I don't know if it was okay with the people that were around you, you know, but, you know, again, I feel like I was raised with this real idea of like, not just like a separation from God, who's like a sky man that you can't get to, but like a separation from everybody who's holier than you. Like literally a part of Catholicism is like, you go say your sins to a priest, you know, like behind huh. a closed door and like, um, women can't be priests, queer people can't be priests. And then above priests is like the next level of priest, you know, like a cardinal or, uh, you know, a, a bishop. And then above that is like other, you know, and then you get to the Pope and like, that's still not even God. Like, you huh. know, it's like, there's all these layers of humanity and, and yes, there, yeah, exactly. And yes, yeah. exactly. There's all these layers of hierarchy. And then yes, there are like prophets, but they're also saints, you know, in that tradition, right. and saints have to do miracles, a certain number of miracles. And like, then they move up even there. There's like different zones you like are in until you get to a certain point. Um, and those folks are like magic, you know, it's not, they're not like people. Um, I think in the way that we talk about them. So yeah, this is highly radical what you're talking about to me. Oh, huh. I mean, what I read about too, but it's just like wild to hear you say it. Like, what are you talking about? That you like felt a right. <laughs> connection. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. What were you saying? But isn't what? No, no, no. My but isn't was, um, was just, I don't know. I think it's sort of like built into Islam because there is this whole chapter in the Quran that's like reprimanding Prophet yeah. Muhammad. You know what I mean? I think it like, I think it, uh, I think it, takes prophets and just out of this idea of like sainthood um if that right. makes sense yeah, yeah i mean god by the way god has been pissed at like every saint and every uh person right. in the bible too you know like that's a big part of it mm. but i think you know there it's also sort of a judging god and like a mm. god you have to earn um i mean the old testament god is also extremely like vicious like just mm. killing people and whatnot but then the new testament god is distant i think that's part of the reason that in that tradition like jesus means so much because it's because he's like the loving and forgiving one um that like brought us all toward god as opposed to god right coming to us i mean i guess there is still a celebration that that there's a god that would want to become human but Right. Which is also where I think like some of my reframing comes in. And, I, you know, this is like this is all, um, you know, I didn't always have access to this. It's, all, it's definitely something that I had to learn how to do lots. Thank you. Lots and lots of therapy. Um, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, 
I think about that a lot because what if the God that's like scolding Muhammad, for example, is not like actually like angry and scolding, but what if, um, what if that God is like, I don't know, gentler than that. And what if that God is being kind and telling Muhammad, you know, you, you try your best, um, but this isn't, you don't have to do this. Like this isn't, this isn't the path. Um, what you should have done was this instead. I don't know. I, I, I think like, how would that change? How, um, how would that change how we think about religion? If God was framed as kind and guiding. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, like I think mass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. into some like actual things from the book but i just like yeah i really appreciate this appreciate this sort of like overarching convo well since we're talking about this that way can you recount for me there's like this moment from when you're a teen where you like have this first encounter with the idea that maybe like there's queerness built into the quran would you can you talk about that for a moment yeah um, so for me, that happened, um, in Quran class, um, in school. Wait, how old were you at this time? I was 14. Yeah, that's okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, in Quran class, we were reading the story of Maryam, um, also known as the Virgin Mary. Um, and, uh, and there's, there's a whole sort of like chapter in the Quran about Maryam and, um, we were sort of like making our way through this chapter uh, as part of Quran class. And one of the, there's this moment at which um, Maryam, so she's, she like lives alone in this sort of like temple mosque situation um, because her mom has sort of promised her to God. And there's this moment in which this like handsome, well-proportioned man, these I'm quoting the Quran here, or you know, I'm quoting the translation of the Quran here, um, knocks on her door and, you know, has and it's it's an angel from God. And, you know, this angel has a message for Maryam for God. And um, you know, Maryam lives all alone, and you know, there's this handsome man knocking on her door, and she's like, no, thank you, you know, please leave. And I don't know, there's, there was this, there was something in me at 14 that was so intrigued by this, by this moment. And then when you keep sort of like reading, um, what happens is that the angel is like, no, no, hold on, hold on. Um, I'm actually an angel from God. And I'm here to tell you that you're pregnant, you're gonna have a baby. And then she has this moment where she's like, absolutely not no man no man has touched me and I don't know something about to me at 14 like just like hearing that was just so powerful because I was like wait there are people like me like not just in the Quran but just like in the world what um and because yeah I mean like and you know in in this chapter, I talk about how Maryam was a dyke. Doesn't that totally make sense? Um, but 
you know, like, and, you know, again, like maybe she was and maybe she wasn't. But to me, there's something so powerful about her refusal in that moment. And just like, I, I felt this like immense connection with her. And yeah, um, it's interesting because that's also the year that I, you know, started wearing hijab and started like reading the Quran so much more. And, and yeah, I don't know, to me, um, those things are connected, just that moment of sort of like seeing something that felt akin to myself in this story and um, just, yeah, wanting to be closer to Maryam and to God. I feel like I've had that conversation with many gynecologists that you're talking about <laughs> God, Mary, Mary, with that angel. Um, but Cameron, are you yeah. sure you're not <laughs> pregnant? Like, I'm so sure. Um, but I, I mean, again, actually, I, I will say that the time I thought about this for the fucking first time in my life, because I did sort of have a moment where I thought about this, mm. was when I was um, doing an egg retrieval. And I was like, oh, I know someone that perhaps <laughs> got pregnant in a kind of a similar way, but like with very different uh, tools. Whoa. <laughs> um, that was pretty wild for me. Um, I was a very different age. Cause that was like last year. Mm. Um, but I did have the same thought actually, or like a similar thought around like this story I grew up with. I do not know if it means what you think it means, <laughs> you know? Um, and it was, it was very cool. Uh, having that thought. I also just want to follow up on, so you still, uh, cover your hair. I do out in the world. Yes. And, um, there's a moment where you're like talking to a doctor in the book, which first of all, again, I mean, like about a lot of things in the world, like people who were born in the United States are idiots. Like that's just fucking true. And I actually didn't know. And I have like friends who've emigrated here. I didn't know you had to have a medical exam Yeah, for immigration. I didn't know that. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Yeah. And it expires every year, which is so annoying because it means that if your application is stuck in processing for more than a year, you need it. You need another you need another medical evaluation to, you know, prove that you're off sound health and mind to immigrate to this country. Isn't that wild? Yes. Yes, it is wild. Yes, it is wild. I, that seems like an extremely uh, difficult hoop to jump through again and again. Um, but you were having this medical exam and the doctor like specifically asked you about your decision to uh, wear hijab. And I just was, I wanted to, to have you sort of like recount that moment because I feel like, again, like maybe in your world, these are conversations that um, you're hearing about a lot, but I don't mm. know that they are convos that I think have like gotten as much um space as they deserve mm. so um first of all for context this was an anti-doctor um by which i mean uh the the woman who is doing um the the she the woman who is sort of like doing my medical exam was was you know like she was like an auntie like the the aunties that i grew up around um and you know i think one of the things that makes aunties aunties, like one of their defining characteristics is they're uh, prying into people's businesses. <laughs> um, and so I just like, it was, it was hilarious because, um, you know, she 
ask me all of these questions that are on the form, like, you know, uh, just like, like, what meds do you take? Um, you know, is, have you ever engaged in sex work? Like, just what? Yeah. Anyway, um, and, you know, we, uh, we get to the end, and she realizes that I'm gay. And then in this very auntie turn of events, she goes, but then why do you still wear hijab? Like, what do you say to that? Um, well, in that situation, I, I felt like I couldn't really say anything because she's basically, she yeah. has all the power in the situation. Right. You didn't, I don't think you did say yeah, anything in the book, yeah. but I'm curious as to like, just yeah. in your own heart, what you say to that. To me, um, I don't know. Hijab is something that I've been wearing for a long time. Um, I've been wearing it since I was 14. And to me, the biggest reason that I wear it is because it feels like a way to feel closer to God. Um, it feels like, it feels like a reminder on a daily basis to myself, um, of something that I'm aspiring to, which is just like, which is just sort of like using this concept of God to be a better person in the world, um, to just constantly I don't know, remember that there's something bigger outside of me, um, whether it's the universe or God or whatever, but just, I don't know, just a reminder that there's something outside of me and there's something that I'm aspiring towards, um, which is, you know, being um, kind to people that I don't know, um, being more patient, um, thinking through concepts of justice and, yeah, to me, it's like a daily reminder of that. Um, yeah, I know that like, I know that people talk about sort of like modesty um, and other concepts when it comes to hijab, but none of those have really like, none of those are really called out to me. Um, to me, it's, it's just, it's more this idea of being present and being conscious about my decisions um and you know sometimes i wear um a headscarf um and sometimes i wear a beanie and um sometimes i wear a backwards baseball cap um and to me those are all forms of hijab but that i mean because i i noticed that you're wearing a beanie today and i and i already was like oh i see what that is but is that something that what would like the tradition you grew up in say about that like would is that something that folks would accept or is that a personal um concept? i think it's a, i think it's a bit of both i think hijab looks very different um in different places in the muslim world um uh a lot of people also wear sort of like turban hijabs i don't know if you've ever seen those super stylish like fashionista like hijab. totally i totally oh have God, i yeah. feel like what i haven't seen is beanie baseball cap I feel like really? that's the ones okay, I haven't seen. Yeah. Okay, because I'm trying to go for this like hijabi slob fashion, you know? I mean, uh, number one, fucking like <laughs> under, you know, like you look fabulous. So it's not that, Thank but I just you. feel like that's, I haven't seen it. I'm still in my workout clothes from this mm -hmm. morning. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I think like, I think there's so many hijabi fashionistas in the world mm -hmm. and really like power to them, but mm -hmm. I'm just trying to be a uh, hijabi slob. <laughs> May I suggest uh, the portmanteau hislab? You know, just an idea. Just an idea. <laughs> I can't believe I've never come up with yeah. that. Yeah, hey man, stick I'm with me. I'm crediting you, Cameron. Yeah, please. Yeah. Every time I use that. Yeah. 
You know, the other thing that I really like about the way that you describe that, because this is something that is like so, well, like obviously I'm not telling you anything when I say that this is like in a Western sense can be very contentious, misunderstood, a way to draw attention. But then like there's also, you know, growing up here, the like media and information that's delivered from the rest of the world that I think it's also like very... Um, the info is very across the board about like, mm. are people being oppressed? Are people being given mm. a choice? Like some folks are saying, this is actually me like standing in my power. Then there's like, you know, somebody who like, whoever it is, whether they're even in the community, like some random like white woman in Iowa being like, I don't want this to, you know, so it's just, like, there's just a ton of conversation about this. Um, and that's, I'm not trying to get into that. I think what I'm more trying to say is given all that conversation, I liked what you said about just like the personal interaction and like, and also the reminder, because I think that thing as a way of like contextualizing this, not that people need, not that like you need to fucking justify your existence to anybody else, but it's just an interesting way of contextualizing it because like, yeah, there's a million things that in the Western world we do. Right. And totally accept like, here's one that I'm fucking wearing right now. A fucking wedding ring. Mm. You know, like, that's the reason people wear wedding rings. Number one, they're like circles. So it's like, it can never be broken. But then also, like, people wear wedding rings for a reminder. Or lots of people wear crosses for a reminder. Like, I, I'm not wearing it today, but I have a, um, I, like, left it at a hotel that I've been staying at for work. And don't worry. I called them day and night until they found, they told me they found it. But I have a cornicello from my family, which is, um, it's like this horn that exists in the, Italian tradition that means protection and mm. you actually can't buy it for yourself and have it be effective. Somebody has to give it to you. So the one that I have right now was given to me by my sister. Previously I had one given to me by my father and I wear it every day to remind me that I'm protected and like part of a family. So again, it's like, it doesn't have to be the same level of symbol. I'm not necessarily talking about an encounter with God Mm -hmm. Um, but I certainly have things in my own life that I do as a reminder of how I am plugged into everything. That makes sense. Yeah. That's a real thing that exists in the world. Feeling connected. Um, so you have a partner. Yes. Today you go to a mosque yes. today and are those two things at all, do those two parts of your life at all interact? I don't mm. know the answer to that. Like, like, is that like... Does your partner come to the mosque? I literally don't know like how this is. I don't know what is appropriate in this context. Like I don't well, know. I mean, that's a good question. So also, you know, the pandemic happened and is happening. And so going True. to the mosque uh, looks very different um, these days. Um, but so so my partner has come to visit my family in before um, and it, sort of like in the past and sort of we pretended to be friends. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I also don't have a good answer to this question because like pandemic happened and totally. like moss going has like become, yeah. But um, yeah, I mean. I can tell yeah. you why I'm asking if that yeah, helps you please, to, yeah. you know, cause I have had a curiosity in the last couple of years about like if there's a faith community that I mm. could be a part of. And um, currently, right now, I'm going to, like, a Unitarian church, mm -hmm. which is, it's very interesting. Yeah. Like, Unitarian church is really interesting. It's, it does draw, the, un, the Unitarian 
Unitarian Universalist, and they they do draw from Christianity. They also draw yeah. from like all religious texts. So it's not like a Christian mm-hmm. tradition. Um, and also they draw from like general ideas of social justice. Mm-hmm. So like, I mean, everybody's really old. Otherwise, it would feel a little like I don't even know what to say. I don't want to say Coachella vibe. It's like yeah. there's a little bit of like a. It's amazing that we created this, but also like this does seem a little fucking. L.A., baby, even though it exists everywhere. <laughs> um, but people are fucking old there, and I think they really do believe what, they, what they're what they saying, and, like, the minister is this, like, fucking old-ass woman, and I fuck, I love to hear what she has to say. So I'm currently um, enjoying that experience. But I also have, like, experimented with, for instance, like, going to various churches, even Catholic mm. churches. I brought my wife, Katie, with me, and there have been times, you know, like, technically, in the Catholic Church, I am not able to take communion. Um, oh, interesting. Because of, like, the choices that I've made in my life. Like, I'm a, I'm a divorcee. I'm uh, also was gay, like, when I got married to begin with. So there's, like, a lot of... So then to know that and bring somebody into that space, not just bring my own body into the space, bring somebody else mm. into that space. Um, like, Katie left one time when we had... <laughs> and just went and, like, walked around. But, like... Yeah. You know, it's a lot to... Um, it's There's one thing to, like do the work inside of yourself, but then there's just, it's another thing to try to make those things intersect like outside of yourself. That's why I was asking this question. So to sort of answer your question, um, I, a a bunch of sort of, a bunch of uh, queer Muslims here, um, we kind of have our own community. Um, We do uh, iftars every day in Ramadan, even if it's like not in person, like sometimes they're virtual. and we've just been putting, building a, we've been putting a lot of effort into, um, into, you know, like doing Eid prayers together. Um, and I take my partner to those and that feels really meaningful to have her there. Um, yeah, it, it feels really meaningful to have her there. Oh, and the other reason that I'll say that, <laughs> that I'm asking this question that people would know if they hadn't read the book is that like your partner is not. Yes. Muslim, which is why I'm like yeah. asking the oh, yeah. to begin with. Um, okay. Well, look, people should read Hijab Witch Blues. That's absolutely true. Um, and also, I just really appreciate your um, your time and energy today. You know, like it's, mm. uh, I think it's a lot for me as just a, an adult person to just feel like, man, I don't know anything mm. about this. And I actually think I'm somebody who's more interested than the average bear in like other religious traditions that I wasn't raised in. Um, so it is like very, yeah, I appreciate your graciousness around, you know, answering these questions. Of at, course. Like, a, an elementary school level. Um. I got you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, before I send you back into your day, and there's like so many other things I wanted to ask you about. But before I send you back into your day, I wanted to ask you, what do you think is a well-proportioned man? No, not that. Um, <laughs> I wanted to ask you to shout out a query, a quero, which is a um, person, place, or thing that made you feel you could be who you are today. Oh, my God. Um, can I shamelessly shout out Leslie Feinberg? Um, of course. For writing Stone Butch Blues, um, which is where my title is derived from. Yeah, just... Leslie was amazing and um reading Stone Butch Blues changed for me what I thought books could do um 
Mm. Just because that book is just like, it's so, it's both like personal and political at the same time. And um, yeah, that's my queero. It's also memoir, but like a little disjointed from what we usually think of as memoir, which is also true of your book. I just mean in terms of like, it's not like, first, this right. happens. Like it's, yeah, it's like set up very differently. When did you first encounter that book? Um, I think I read it first in my early 20s. Um, and yeah, I, I also just like, it It made it feel possible to write about queerness and transness um, in ways that I hadn't always read about. Yeah, for sure. I know that that's, well, again, and also like Leslie is one of those um, people that like over time, we actually have like more context for what they were talking about, like not less. For sure, yeah. Which is interesting because sometimes things can age in a way that makes them like less relatable or understandable. And that, that book is, that's not true of that book. Yeah. Which is also something that's really interesting about it. Well, my friend, um, thank you so much for your time. And I also just want to, yeah, I want to thank you for writing this book. And, um, I really appreciated what you said at the beginning about, you know, protecting yourself, your space, your safety and your own, um, like time and energy. Yeah. I will try to ever start doing that. (laughs) You got this. I believe in you. (laughs) Thank you.